0: I have seen a lot of uh, colleague entrepreneurs that made something that nobody wanted, um, and I think that's why it is the slogan of the Y Combinator in in the Silicon Valley. It's uh, it's build something people want, and uh, not even build something that people need, because if, <laughs> what people need is not the same as what people want. And I think that's a that's a, the most crucial lesson as an entrepreneur to have that tattooed
1: on your forehead. Welcome, listeners, to the second episode of the Young Entrepreneurs' Podcast by the Philips Innovation Award. Today we have two inspiring guests, with on one hand we have Yoland Rutgers from Philips, and on the other hand we have a past participant actually from the Philips Innovation Award, called Julian Jachtenberg, with his startup Somnox. Well, my name is Thomas Bering, I'm the ambassador of the Philips Innovation Award, uh, and next to me we have Simon van Teutem.
2: Yeah, sure, yeah, I've obviously done this uh, once before, which was a lot of fun when we had uh, Felix and uh, Slingshot Ventures here. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm happy to be here again. I think there's going to be a very interesting episode since we're going to be talking about innovation on the one hand. Uh, and we're going to approach that from two angles, really. From the one hand, On the one hand, from the angle of a startup. And mm-hmm. from the on the other hand, from the angle of a, uh, a big corporate, namely Philips. So uh, maybe it's good to introduce our guests first a little bit. Joland, could you please introduce yourself and share some details about your department in Philips and what you personally are responsible for?
3: Happy to do so. Uh, let me start. Uh, I'm Yoland Rutgers. Uh, I'm 26 years within uh, Philips. Uh, although that sounds like a long time, I still feel young and fresh. Um, uh, I've done uh, different kind of roles uh, in Philips since for five years, I've been uh, uh, the uh, vice president and head of R&D for MR globally. We have quite some sites around the globe uh, working together to create uh, meaningful innovations. Uh, and since uh, last year, I'm also the head of R&D for diagnostic imaging. So that, uh, that contains CT, MR, AMI, DHR, and also components uh, business.
1: Well, cool. Quite some uh, responsibilities, but also quite some knowledge today in the podcast. So that's going to be great. Uh, Julian, you participated in 2017, and hopefully you can share some relatable stories today for our listeners.
0: Yeah, happy to be here. Um, yeah, so my name is Julian. Uh, I am the founder of, of Somnox, and we are a scale-up currently that is looking into improving sleep for everyone on Earth. Um And we do that with an invention that uh, I invented within the Robotics Institute in the University of Technology, Delft. Um, The invention is called a sleep robot. And what it essentially does is slow down the breathing pace of someone who is feeling stressed. And usually stress and anxiety is the biggest cause behind sleeplessness. They take medication to make sure they fall asleep. And we want to be the substitute of the sleeping pill um, with technology that makes you more calm and experience better sleep
2: yeah well that's a very good elevator pitch i think uh julian but uh now that we have a good idea of what you both do in your professional life maybe it's good to start off with the question why do we want to talk about innovation here so maybe thomas uh, why did we invite joland and uh, julian
1: well, first of all, innovation from my point of view as an ambassador of the Philips Innovation World, of course, I don't have the knowledge uh, Julian and Jonathan have today. But my point of view is actually that innovation sort of defines our future. The way we live today depends on the way the actions we, we've we done 20 years ago or 10 years ago, let's say. So I think that's important for innovation to to stimulate uh, the next generation and uh, to see if we can do things better at
2: Sounds brilliant. Um, maybe, Julian, if you talk about the different generations, Julian said earlier that he invented it in the Robotics Institute, I think you said in Delft. Mm-hmm. Could you walk us a bit through this process? So how did you come up with the idea initially?
0: Yeah, so as, as I said, I was within the University of Technology Delft and um, during that time, my mom was a very bad sleeper. She would be sleeping like two hours each night, which is, which is very little. Um, resulting in her being more prone to getting ill or emotionally unstable. Um, And that's where I found out what what, what sleep deprivation does. Like, we all sleep badly every once in a while, but if you sleep consecutive nights very poorly, you will have a very bad condition of both health and and mental well-being. So, yeah, I, I saw my mom suffering. The only thing she got was basically pills, uh, nothing else. And I thought, okay, why can't we solve this with technology? And Since they didn't
2: help either, the pills, or did mm, they?
0: Well, they did on the short term, but they came with side effects on the long term. So it wasn't the solution that is sustainable, so to say. Um, and that's why I was thinking, okay, can we look into science and technology if that may potentially have a solution for my mom? Um, yeah, and that's where we started 3D printing, uh, sketching, you know what people do in Delft. (laughs) Um, Did you get any help from the university in Delft or did you just have to do it yourself? Well, it was part of my graduation project. So they were supporting in, so to say, materials, all the uh, machines that you need to make robotics, professors that you can ask for information. Um, and 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 that's where we, yeah found in literature some promising uh, papers that stated that breathing is a very powerful way to actually calm calm the mind and lower your heart rate. And we took that very principle to create our first patented innovation, which today is the sleep robot.
2: What I like a lot about your story, uh, Julian, is that you talk about it in some sort of like problem solution structure. Mm. And I think in many ways that is what innovation is. There are certain problems that you encounter in a specific context and you solve that by innovating. Uh, Joland, would you define innovation often as a problem solution structure or is there maybe more to that definition?
3: Yeah, I I recognize what you're saying Uh, and I actually uh, find the story of Julian very fascinating because it really starts with an issue from a patient, a customer, Uh, and that is also where it becomes more meaningful. So so one of the key focus areas we take within Philips uh, for driving innovation is what are the user needs? So what are the challenges our customer have and how are we going to make a solution? Uh, instead of trying to create something cool from a technology perspective and try to uh, build a proposition around that. It's really starting from the customer point of view.
2: Yeah, so one lesson that we can already take away from this really is that in improving the quality of the product you need to try and look at it not only from the entrepreneurial perspective but also very much from the perspective of the consumer but then if we talk about starting a business or or innovating in a broader sense then we see that it's maybe a two-step process right you have like the improving the quality of the product but you also have to market it effectively and Uh, On that, I want to go back to you, Julian, because a lot of brilliant ideas that even come from this customer perspective that we just discussed, they get lost in the laboratory uh, because they cannot be explained effectively. They cannot be uh, marketed effectively. Um, Is that where you see it go wrong very often? And did you struggle a lot with that uh, with your own product maybe?
0: Yeah, I think that's what... um It's the curse of Delft, you could could name it. Um, (laughs) You know, engineers are great at making stuff, but they're terrible at selling stuff. And um, I think you become an absolute machine if you are able to build products and also to sell products. So I make those two skills um, now part of of my own identity, because I think both of them are are vital. Do you have Um, to teach
1: the, the marketing part or the technical part to yourself? Both.
0: So right. I'm, I am I am from Delft. So mainly my my heart is an engineer. Mm-hmm. But after being in business for four years now with Sumnox, I I have only been doing marketing and sales mostly because I want to obtain those skills as, a, as being core of, of what we are doing. Um, and and yeah, as Yoland as also stated, it's, it's very easy as an engineer to get lost in the latest trends and gadgets and sensors and big data and AI, right? Every conference nowadays is about these buzzwords, um, but in the end it's all about the consumer. And I think marketing and sales are very close to what the consumer is is in need of. So within our company, we have a core value that is described to say that we are obsessed with our core customers. We want to fall in love <laughs> with our customer. Every, oh, you're, you're, you're even sleeping
2: take. with them. So, so you're saying that's quite yeah. li- literally, I think.
0: No, it, it, for sure. Like there are people sleeping with our product. It's maybe the most intimate intimate uh, space of your house that we are uh, in so we need to know what our consumer uh, what they smell what they hear what they feel what they think and if you become hyper empathetic with how they are yeah then you will always win from any competitor out there uh, because you know the true needs that are aren't satisfied at the in the status quo all right um
2: and i think with your product that's that's quite interesting because you're already saying, okay, you have to sleep with a, <laughs> with a robot. Yeah, It's quite a big step. Mm-hmm. So how do you, if you talk about marketing and we zoom in a bit more specifically on your product, how do you close the gap for consumers uh, who just want to take sleeping medicine, maybe like your mom uh, used to do, and by people eventually buying a rather expensive and maybe from some perspectives a rather intrusive mm-hmm. uh, Sonnox robot and bring it into their personal space?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think it's something we're still figuring out. eh? It's an ongoing process, so I don't have the golden answer that is applicable to all people listening right now. Uh, Because every market is different, every consumer is different. Um, But if you ask the question on our specific case, I think that the people that are truly uh, experiencing sleep deprivation, they're willing to do anything if they can get an additional hour of sleep. And since we have this very unique angle on solving it, which doesn't come in the form of a pill, people are actually quite open to it.
2: But just before we go back to Joland, I find this very interesting because um, what we say is on the one hand, people find a robot in their bedroom very intrusive or maybe Mm. a bit too much. But what you're saying is turning it around and saying, okay, people who encounter this problem find it so problematic and they so badly want to get rid rid of it Mm -hmm. that they want to do something extreme and far-reaching in order Mm. to do so. And in that way, you term this... Uh, you turn this extremeness of your product maybe into a strength as well. I find yeah. that very really interesting. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's it's it's all about brand positioning as well. I think there's this great analog that brand positioning in the end is if you would have a school bus and there are seats within the bus. Most brands all go sit on the same space on top of each other. Right? They all want to be the same because apparently that's how it is. But brand positioning and being unique is choosing a different seat in the bus, which you may be an outsider, you may be an outlier, you're the weird kid on the bus, but therefore people will notice you.
1: Yeah, cool. This also brings me to you, Joland, because uh, we see this innovation process from a startup point of view. But I think that it's also very interesting to know how a big corporate like Philips uh, handles this, this process. <laughs>
3: What I think it's it's all about change management and the ability for people to accept new things. Uh, you, you you can look at that, that that sleep robot as as just explained, but let me give another example. When you take an an MR or CT exam, you quite often get contrast. And that contrast itself is a certain liquid, and that's not not that healthy for you. Now there are also different ways to address that. So we are working on new scan techniques that uh, where you don't require that contrast at all. Uh, now you would say that's great. Everybody would love that and and uh, and uh, take that uh, take that on. But then you also run into the fact of change management there are a lot of parties and especially the ho- hospital space a few sometimes also slow in accepting new things so please don't make that change let's keep to the old way of working yeah, they're quite
1: comfortable in their current situation so they don't feel the need for any change
3: exactly exactly and now that's one example of course there's also industry elements that that play a role um uh, yeah so i think that's a little bit the same as julian was talking about that in order to get across a new innovation which is meaningful, yeah, it's not only bringing that to market, but it's really about the marketing campaign, but also the change management for people, and take and take mm-hmm. that into account.
2: Yoland can we push push back on that a bit further, maybe before you continue? Because um, what you're really pinpointing here is some sort of conservatism uh, from the perspective of the consumer. So, what do you do to fight that conservatism, Julian? From your perspective, do you also do, do you have the resources to do like big quantitative studies or do you mostly base it on user surveys? Yeah,
0: also, this is a very particular question in terms of, of which industry and which proposition you're referring to. In our case, we decided to already go to the market without the hard clinical evidence because those studies take years and millions of dollars uh, to, to, to provide them. Um, so we go to the consumer market with literature review, preclinical studies that are much cheaper and with case studies and cohort studies. And then on the long run, once we have proven the market needs and the market demand, then we will provide this clinical evidence to get the insurance companies and healthcare professionals to work with the product itself. Um, So it's rather a staircase of validation that you need to go through rather than one single shot and and hope that you will make it. I think it's very dangerous for med tech companies to go all in and because you'll have to invest so much money in, in, in research and you will stay under the radar to protect your IP and then you are on the market after seven years of blood, sweat and tears and then you see no one wants your product. Um, so, so my main point of, of, of I want to <laughs> take here is validate. Go out, talk about it and preferably have people pay for it in advance because yeah, the willingness to pay <laughs> is in the end maybe the but ultimate proof? It's your
1: business. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have seen a lot of uh, colleague entrepreneurs that made something that nobody wanted, um, and I think that's why it is the slogan of the Y Combinator in in the Silicon Valley. It's uh, it's built something people want, and uh, not even build something that people need. Because if, <laughs> what people need is not the same as what people want. And I think that's, a, that's a, the most crucial lesson as an entrepreneur, to have that tattooed on your forehead, build something people want. Um, and, and that's the most important take here. And, and in, in terms of the healthcare and medicine industry... It's very traditional, and I I think that healthcare isn't healthcare at all. It's rather sick care, right? Uh, It's a cliche, but I think it's it's a fundamental flaw in our society. We only treat you once you are sick, and that's what medicine is. What I believe in with Somnox and with technology, and I think Philips as well, is uh, preventative care. Keeping people healthy. Keeping people healthy and preventing them to get sick in the first place. And that's where technology will definitely be the answer. Yeah. Yeah, Well,
1: Joland, I'm also quite curious what you have to say about this because you see the difficulties uh, Somnox faces on a daily basis with this innovation process that not only the product has to be good, but also the services around it uh, has to be good. So, can you take us back to 25 years ago and uh, compare the innovations of 25 years ago and how they are nowadays?
3: Wow, that's a a big step back. Before I do that, one addition to what was said, uh, there is a clear difference between a consumer and a healthcare product. So in a healthcare space, you have the regulatory bodies. And uh, in order to make a claim, you have to have that validated data in order to make that claim. Otherwise, you're simply not allowed uh, to do that. Um, Going back uh, 20, 25 years, then... Yeah, to be honest, you see big differences, but you see also things that that are more or less the same. So what is really different is that um, in the past you you worked in smaller teams, and then that global aspect was uh, was uh, yeah less often of a thing. Uh, if you look at the current situation, uh, for sure in Philips we see teams really connected around the globe and actually working together around the globe. Uh, And also COVID uh, even further accelerated even on the hardware space to also make bigger steps in that space.
2: And what does that look like specifically? Uh, So could you name a product where you... Do you innovate in different groups? Do you focus on different steps of the innovation or do you focus on different steps of the product?
3: Yeah, both. Uh, So so to to give you an example, if you look at the clinical uh, software... Uh, that is not a team in the Netherlands or a team in, in India or a team in the US. It's really a united team around the globe. We actually even created a team internally called Emma United in order to further enable and also look at uh, what are the capabilities to, uh, to improve on that. Now you really can work 24-7 because there's always a team awake if you look uh, around the globe. So that, I would say, is a nice example of a big, big, big change.
2: Yeah, I find it funny to to turn to you now again, Julian, because um, what, what Jolan's really telling us is that as a big corporate, you obviously have this advantage of being able to literally, quite literally work around the clock and have all these different global teams. Um, and as a startup or scale up now, you have to try and compete with that. So can you, how did you experience the difficulties of coming up with an innovative idea when your competitors are corporates with, with many more resources, many more people working around the globe. And you're just there in Delft, maybe with some other enthusiastic students, uh, thinking about something.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, first of all, I think that the strengths that you have just mentioned of a big corporate are at the same time their biggest weakness, um, which is like Achilles' heel, right? It's, 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 a, it's a famous saying. But the fact that they are so big and they have so many resources, their main goal, I would say, in the end, is also to have uh, profitability in their shareholders, right? So they need to usually be less risky because they want to be sure that the product they are developing, which will cost a lot of money, uh, will be profitable. Whereas as a startup... You're a cowboy, and you think anything is possible. You don't have any money, uh, but you are—you have this boy. Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, dream that you think, okay, I can change the world. The spark. Yeah, the, the spark. So, um, uh, but I'm saying, but that's also the disadvantage because you don't have money, you don't have the execution power. So it's David and Goliath. That that's really, really what it is. Um, and I think the difficulties are not coming up with the idea because everyone has brilliant ideas. The difficulty is to execute upon the idea and have a brilliant product, have brilliant marketing around it, which requires funding, which requires talent to be in your team. And all of this has to be set up from, from scratch. So that is that is super difficult and it's a very messy, chaotic process. Um, but, but it is your sustainable competitive advantage i would say compared to a corporate because you are reinventing the wheel you are very agile there is nothing to lose there is so much to win um (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, still, corporates uh, like Philips are both a threat for us uh, uh, in, the, in the sleep space as an opportunity.
1: And can you maybe
0: uh, name... I would, uh, yeah, I sure. would
3: actually think, uh, if, I, if I may comment, of course. I, of course. Would actually, I, I would actually uh, challenge that a little bit. Um, I totally agree with you that the, the spirit of a startup, that you have to get that everywhere. So also in a big company like Philips, are really pushing uh, teams to really think like a startup. So that's one element. Secondly, it's not about being the only one in the market. So I'm a strong believer, and I also see that within Philips. So I'm not clearly not the only one, about partnerships. We have a lot of partnerships with smaller companies, with uh, with universities, where we work very closely because they are, as you indicated a lot of great ideas but sometimes it's difficult to to find a good spot how that idea can become yeah an, 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 a solution to a user needs uh, that a, that a customer actually wants and I think if you look at the space out there uh, there's so much to do so it's better to team up together instead of fighting each other unless it becomes do you, do an you exact experience
1: same it as a, as a competition or do you see it like a collaboration?
3: In most cases, uh, I see it as, uh, so for sure with smaller companies and also with uh, um, universities and et cetera, I, I strongly see that as partnership and, uh, and collaborations. Of course, if you look at bigger companies that uh, like Siemens or GE, yeah, of course then you are more in the com- competition. Also there, I think uh, platformization is becoming also more and more a foundation for going forward. Yeah? You see that in the automotive industry and doing everything yourself. I think that's something uh, from the previous uh, century. I think now we need to think much more, how can we partner even between those uh, those companies?
2: I think I think it's so interesting what you're saying, uh, Joland, because what you said earlier is I'm going to challenge Julian on that. But what you're really saying is, um, as Phillips as a big corporate. We do actually recognize that there are things in universities or in startups or in scale ups that can complement us. So, there is some truth actually to the advantages that Julian is talking us through. The only thing that you're saying is it's not mutually exclusive with engagement with a corporate like us, and we can profit from it as well. So, what you're pin- pinpointing is that in that way, I think, is that you work quite uh, cl- complementary, if you will. So, to Go back to Somnox a bit again. Um, do you think that Philips and Somnox can complement each other in that sense as well? Have you tried to?
3: I'm personally not in the sleep business, so I, I really cannot uh, cannot uh, comment on that uh, that question. And according
2: okay. to you, Julian.
0: Yeah, I think it's very tough, you know. Um, I mean, of course, I think collaborations and partnerships are great. And I think in the end, it's inevitable that we should, I, I really prefer to to cuddle <laughs> rather than to fight. Uh, because as David and Goliath, you know, you, you probably most likely, don't stand the chance. So we are very much open to partner with uh, with Philips in a way that is, of course, fruitful um, for the both of us. And t- to be honest, I-, I haven't seen a lot of successful corporate startup uh, collaborations out there.
2: And what's the problem there? What's the bottle bottleneck usually? Well I think it's a culture thing
0: you know to have an analogy for it I think a startup is like a monkey from the jungle and a corporate is like a farm with cattle that is doing a process XYZ and if you put a monkey in a farm you know it's like an elephant in a porcelain shop (laughs) it doesn't really really work out so I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it, it's very tricky. So usually it ends up in either an acquisition of the startup itself um, or uh, competing with it in in, in lawsuits. Um, and, and now I'm being a bit drastic here, of course, but this is happening. And it is very real. So yeah, for me, I would r- love to choose the routes of, of collaborating, uh, joining forces. But it can be and, difficult. Uh, it's very difficult. But it's yeah.
2: funny because you're bringing that back again to the cultural differences that Yolan uh, just tried to disprove by saying, okay, as Philips, we also try to keep an entrepreneurial spirit. We try to work as a startup. Do you think that most big corporates are not really successful in that then, uh, Julian,
0: Absolutely. Okay. Every corporate says they are entrepreneurs, but it's not true, because you're in the most cases, and and this is going to be a bit rough. But I think uh, you know, there's there's no skin in the game in a way that, of course, you have a job, and it's 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 as a uh i haven't worked in a corporate so that's a big disclaimer here yeah but i have skin in the game guys (laughs) if i go bankrupt i have a lot of problems so i will make it work no matter what i will go to through mountains I, i will move mountains and i think it's impossible as an employee of a big corporate where you are a smaller gear in a bigger machine that can be substituted you can't have that same motivation. You share that
2: responsibility. It's yeah. a structural thing, even if you try to do so. Yeah. So, and if you, let's say that Somnox uh, grows explosively in the coming few years mm-hmm. and you start to become more like a big corporate yourself, would you try to, to uh, come up with any mechanisms to push back on that? So would you maybe try yeah. to make every employee a shareholder? or yeah. Do you think measures like that can be effective?
0: Well, I think that the idea you just proposed is a great way. If you become shareholder, you are more eager to not just work for your salary, but to actually bring in great ideas and innovation. That's a great way. Um, but one of the things that we do, and and Again, I don't have corporate experience, but this is my dream if we one day become the, the leading sleep company um, that we actually have like uh, an, an innovation team or a chief innovation officer that goes into the management team meetings and says, hold up. The only thing you guys are doing now is optimize processes. Where is the real game changing innovation here? Um, otherwise, within a few years, you'll be, you'll be looking at the startups that are disrupting your industry.
3: It's, it's actually quite interesting to look at that. Uh, also, you indicated to yourself that you don't have the experience. I think it's all about mindset. So I'm not going to argue what who's right, who's wrong. No, uh, but of course. Uh, but, I, but I really want to say, if you have the mindset that you actually own the activities, you own what you're doing, and you drive uh, that through, then you have the right spirit. And having that spirit in the organization... It drives solutions and then actually it doesn't matter whether you started for yourself or you are part of a bigger company.
1: Yeah well uh, well, maybe in addition to this this spirit you're talking about there's another th- topic uh, I like to stress about innovation because there's this difference between having the opportunity to be innovative and be forced to be, uh, be innovative and of course we wanted to avoid this topic but I think in the case of Philips it's very interesting. Uh, how did you overcome or uh, manage the need to be innovative uh, with the COVID-19 crisis within Philips?
3: Yeah, that's a good point. I already uh, pointed uh, that out a little bit earlier. Uh, it actually starts, it starts also re- again with the right mindset. So uh, don't think about uh, products uh, alone. Really think about the people that are part of that. And as as, as we mentioned before, people are concerned. Uh, there, there's something going on, and how do you deal with that? And on top of that, you have all kind of new regulation. So how do you deal with that? Now, a key thing is really making sure that teams are connected. So we spent a lot of time in connecting with the teams. So it's, a, it's about having the right infrastructure, having the ability to connect and keep the focus on what you're doing. In some cases, you actually see that the, the developments are even sharper and better.
2: I think there's two takeaway points uh, from what you just said that are really interesting, uh, Jolant. Uh, On the one hand, you say disruption, even though it can be destabilizing for a bit for the world at large, it can also be a strong force for change and for innovation in this respect. And on the second hand, I feel like what you're saying is also maybe some sort of proof or maybe an attempt for proof that this innovative spirit still very much exists within the big corporate uh, fit-ups. And I'm very much enjoying the discussion we're having about that and comparing the big corporates with startups. (laughs) And I think we can close the discussion there for a bit Um, Lastly, if we zoom out and uh, think about innovation more broadly again, innovation is often about the first step, about the initiation, and maybe about being the first mover in the market. But then thinking ahead after that is also key. And I think if I ask you, Julian, after these first few steps in the laboratory, and, and maybe regardless of the marketing processes that we discussed earlier, how important do you think the concept of looking beyond the horizon is do you try to do things very gradually step by step and very pragmatically or do you also try to sketch a larger vision and maybe a view for what you want to be or where you want to be in three or five years
0: no, I, I think it's absolutely vital to look uh, beyond the horizon, as you say. Uh, um, and, and that's for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, in, in our case, it's to help 100 million people sleep in 2030. So we still have 10 years to do so. Um, which is a very ambitious goal for a small company as, as, that we are. But it, it brings us a certain focus and a certain direction. And that is crucial to determine, okay, what products will we be making? What kind of marketing campaign should we be running? What kind of people should we be hiring? Um, And and the fact is, if you don't have that vision, uh, it will also reflect on the culture of the organization, right? Uh, Real talent, real ambitious people, the real game changers out there don't want to work for a company that is just incrementally doing their thing. They need an overarching purpose. Yeah, it needs to be too big to accomplish, right? It, it, because if you aim for the moon, you end up, up you end up amongst the stars. Uh, it's it's a cliche quote, but I think it's it's a great quote to live by because then you get people that will that are behind your mission, um, and and everything else follows, sort of. If you ask me, okay, but how do you break that up into smaller pieces? Because it's great to dream big. I think it's it's essential as a founder and and or CEO, um, but in the end, you also need to execute. Right? And that's where a lot of startups uh, and also sometimes corporates, uh, I, I think, miss the ball. Um, uh, because if you have that big dream, okay, what do you need to be in, in three years? What do you need to be in a year from now? What do you need to do in this quarter, this month, this week, and this very hour? Um, so in a way, this podcast now should be aligned with my mission of having 100 million people sleep in 2030. If I can't say yes to that question, I wouldn't be here. Um, and I want every employee to do that.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great answer. Um, I really enjoyed this discussion so far, but I think Thomas has come up with a interesting dilemma that we usually do yeah, in these episodes. Yeah, of course, episodes. of
1: course. I think we already discussed it, and this is a hotly debated topic, uh, this podcast, so I, I would love to ask it again. Uh, and uh, even though I might hear your answers, we can still say let's agree to disagree. So I'm going to just ask you and... Uh, See what your thoughts are. Well, although innovation is getting more and more technological and expensive, most of the disruptive innovation nowadays come from startups instead of big companies.
0: Well, I think there are great examples of big companies having innovations as well. And I think Philips is a really beautiful example within the innovations in, in the healthcare space. So I definitely don't want to be the bad <laughs> guy saying they don't innovate. No, I'm, I'm very much uh, admiring uh, their work. Um, however, I do think that the real disruptive innovations, like, well, there's this great book, Zero to One. mm mm-hmm which describes zero to one are the technologies that have never been seen before. I've read it this summer. It's a great book. It's a great read. And um, that's what startups are usually because they create something from nothing. And big corporates usually are already within a space and then start incrementally innovating within the space. And usually more stable, more reliable. Um, uh, So I think both are uh, very much needed in this society. If we would just have startups, um, it would be a terrible world. (laughs) Trust me. You you, you need the corporates with reliable quality products, especially in healthcare.
2: So you're saying, okay, innovation more generally and building onwards from what we already have is something mm-hmm. that corporates can suffice in doing yes. but for the real disruptive elements yes. although corporates may also be able to do that you also very much need startups
0: I think statistically speaking and I didn't do research on this so this is a big assumption of mine but I think statistically speaking uh, startups are the, the disruptive innovations of the, of the past 10 years if you look at Uber, Airbnb, Facebook, you name it you know uh, nerds in their garage Those are the ones that have changed the world as it is today. Um, But I think in a way, a startup is just a tiny corporate that will one day become a corporate, right? It's like the baby versus the adult. And therefore bridging the gap between the corporates and the startups I think that's where the answer is. So I I really hope um, that that one day (laughs) we can (laughs) figure out what that marriage looks like between Somnox and Philips.
2: I think that's a very comprehensive answer. Uh, Joland, what do you think of that? Do you agree with uh, what Julian just said?
3: Uh, I would not say directly I agree with with Julian. Uh, What I think is that there are examples of uh, disruptive innovations uh, from big companies and from startups. So I don't think you there's really a fight between those two. But I think with what Julian also said, the difference is what customers really want. So let me give examples, an example of AI solutions. If you have AI detection of certain kinds of disease, and as a startup, you have made a beautiful solution, yeah, then going towards all these hospitals and networks, etc. to get that sold is extremely difficult. Uh, so... Uh, then you run actually in an issue because, as a, as a customer from a hospital, you don't want to deal with hundreds or maybe even more uh, companies where you're acquiring software and solutions from and, and finding ways to all work, make it all work together. So, in that sense, you actually prefer to have some. Yeah, a smaller set of groups uh, a smaller set of suppliers you can call it like that that provide it and and they take care of that uh, mm-hmm. that part so so one of the ecosystems uh, we are looking at is also especially on the ai side is to really having those startups smaller company and find ways to integrate that in our solution so that for the customers it easy and on the other side we also realize we cannot do everything it would be a bit stupid that we think as a big company that we know everything no
2: julian joland and thomas of course i'd like to thank you for this uh, wonderful discussion i'm particularly happy with the fact that you were there was some tension as well some healthy tension and some constructive debate And also a self-critical attitude from both sides. So um, I think our listeners have learned a lot today. Yeah, I think that as well. Very honored
1: to have you here and I think we've created a great podcast. Did you get inspired by this podcast? And are you excited to participate in the Philips Innovation Award? Take a look
3: at via.nl and we can kickstart your ID or startup.